a lot of this, and obviously in this in this first section, is is still going to be somewhat uh, introductory. So we're 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 picking up on some themes here that we're going to see um, as we move through the book of First Corinthians, and uh, um, and Lord willing, um, the plan is to go all the way through it. So that's that's our that's our hope. <laughs> while while we wait on the Lord Jesus, we we just made it through Matthew, didn't we? So so uh, by God's grace, it can be done. Um, so we're going to be talking about a couple of things this morning that we touched on last week, and 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 some we're we're looking ahead to. So as I said, these will these will kind of be themes to remember, kind of setting the stage um, here as we move through the book. Again, this is Paul's letter to the Corinthians, uh, the church at Corinth. Uh, ancient Greece. Um, we talked last week about the fact that it's not not a culture unlike our own, and that can be said in different ways. Uh, in other words, the the uh, the atmosphere of the of the, the the worldly culture was very similar to what we have today uh, in terms of spirituality and I mean perceived spirituality what the world thinks of as spirituality their situation was similar to what, to what we have today a lot of a lot of similarities and in regard to the church and some of the problems that we're going to be talking about um, that the Corinthian church was uh, that they were engaged in and that Paul is dealing with here uh, these problems still persist they're still out there. They're still they're still present, still among us. So there are a lot of things here that that we're going to see some direct application for, direct direct correlation from their situation and ours. And and of course the amazing thing about the Word of God is it's always relevant, always relevant. But um, some places more obvious than others, and this is one of those places that I think it's it's uh, it's obvious. So we last week touched on uh, Paul's address, verses one through three. He uh, addresses them by calling himself the apostle of Jesus Christ, referring to them as the church of God at Corinth, and now begins to talk about his own thanksgiving for them because of what God has done and is doing in their behalf. That, again, is, it seems like a very small thing, but I think it's going to be important to, to keep that in mind. I, I, it's, again, it fascinates me. I think I mentioned this last week, but that we have the address that we have here and that we have this thanksgiving that we have here um, in reference to these people. Because as we move through the book, we're going to see some very serious problems so, Lord willing, I'm going to keep calling it to mind, and, and, and if, if I don't, keep it in the forefront of your mind, that Paul is addressing them as a legitimate church that has been gifted by God. Alright, so I, I, what I want to do this morning is kind of focus in on, on what, I, what I believe to be here a, a, uh, an exhortation. Again, Paul's giving it in the form of thanksgiving. I thank my God this way because of this. He's giving it in the form of thanksgiving. But at the same time, it's an exhortation to them to redirect their focus. Now, again, this, this is key as, as we go through the epistle. 
the, the problem is not that this is a pseudo-church. The problem is not that their experience is inauthentic. The problem has a lot to do with, with focus. The problem has a lot to do, as, as we'll see, um, with abuses. So, um, you'll have to be patient with me because some of that we won't, we won't look at this morning. We'll just see it as we move through the book. But I'm just kind of, uh, kind of setting the stage here and asking that we keep those in mind. So, let's go back to, to verse 4 here. Uh, where, again, Paul expresses his thankfulness to God for God's grace given to the Corinthians, the church at Corinth. Verse 4, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. And incidentally, um, we're, we're, we have to break this down here because this sentence doesn't end until the end of verse 8. Okay? <laughs> and Paul, Paul was notorious for long sentences. Um, in fact, this one's relatively short, probably compared to some others. But that's all one sentence, verses 1 through 8. So he says, I thank my God always concerning you, about you. Now, we've already pointed out a couple of things that the church has problems. And I said last week, I think the, the biggest one here is their problem with, with Paul. And I'm talking about on a human level. Obviously, their biggest problem is, is, has to do with right relationship with God. But on the human level, their, their, the biggest issue, the reason for Paul writing this letter is their problem with him. They're rejecting his authority. They're rejecting his apostleship. And so he's going to be defending his apostleship through, uh, through the book. Now, they also have internal problems in the church, divisions. Um, you see that um, we'll have to deal with later, but you, you see that in um, verse 11, for example, it has been declared unto me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Some say I'm of Paul, some say I'm of Apollos, some say I'm of Cephas, some say I'm of Christ, and so forth. So, first, you know, they, they reject Paul's apostleship and authority. And that's, that, that carries huge consequences because if, if they do that, then they're rejecting his, his teaching. And Paul's teaching is the apostolic doctrine. It's, it's, it's not up for vote. I mean, it, you, we, we, we must accept the doctrine of the apostles. Right? So that's why there are huge consequences to rejecting Paul's apostleship. And they have contentions among one another. So there are serious problems here. And yet, Paul starts out here by saying, I thank my God always concerning you. Now, this is part of his statement of authenticity here. I mean, he's saying, I believe you're called of God. In fact, we're going to see that language. You're called of God. God has done a work in you. God has. Gifted, has gifted you, and I thank God for that. That's, that's a good lesson for us. How often do we thank God for those that we're having serious problems with? For those whom we disagree with? For those whose theology is different? For those who are, uh, you know, kind of stiffening up their neck against us? 
resisting. That's what's happening here with Paul. They're, they're resisting him. And he's responding by saying, first of all, I thank God for you. <laughs> I thank God concerning you and what, what he's done in your life and what he's doing in your life. Isn't that amazing? It's kind of, kind of along the lines of what we talked about in Sunday school. God has given all of us. Any, any genuine believer has a new heart. God has given us a new heart. New spirit. Placed His own spirit within us. Yet, though we have a new heart, it's not a perfect heart, right? And so, we encounter problems. But, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. All who genuinely belong to Him. So Paul says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. Now, here's, here's what he's honing in on, on here as he, um, as he speaks of his thankfulness to God. And that is God's grace imparted to them. So, so Paul thanks God for His grace given to the Corinthians. Paul thanks God for His grace given to the Corinthians. The way he says it in verse 4, I thank God concerning you, right? For, or on the basis of, would be a way of translating that, on the basis of the grace of God. Now, here's a interesting thing. I think, in this text, um, in regard to the word grace. Usually, when, when we think of grace, we think of an attitude or a disposition. We, we think of favor. In other words, if we're talking about the grace of God towards someone, we're, we're, we're thinking of His, His, His attitude toward us, His favor toward us. In fact, common definition of grace, right, is unmerited Favor. So when you hear a statement like "I thank God for, for uh, or I thank God concerning you for the grace of God given to you," you're probably not thinking in terms of, of concrete things. You're, you're thinking more of, of more abstract. God's favor, the grace of God. Thankful for God's favor. But I think Paul here is focusing more on the concrete, or we might say it this way, that the evidence of God's favor. So when he, even when he uses the term grace, he has in mind gifting, the gift. The gift. I thank my God always concerning you for the gift of God which was given to you in Christ Jesus. Let me, let me give you uh, just one other reference that, 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 uh, that says that. And in fact, it's, it's translated differently for that reason. I mean, in other words, here it's more clear. This same letter, if you go to chapter 16, chapter 16, verse 3, um, and, and Paul is talking here about a uh, contribution being made by the Corinthians to the poor saints at Jerusalem. 
uh, monetary gift, money in other words. Chapter 16, verse 3. Paul is talking about receiving that gift and taking it to Jerusalem. When I come, whomever you, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. Now, the interesting thing is, here, in, in the translation I'm reading from, the New King James Version, the word gift there is the same word, it's the Greek, uh, Greek word charis, the same word translated grace in chapter 1, verse 4. Now, here in chapter 16, verse 3, it's obvious Paul is not just talking about an attitude of favor, but he's talking about the, the actual gift that is being bestowed. A gift, in this case, from the Corinthians to the church at Jerusalem. And it's money. Now, they're, they're taking up a collection for the poor saints at Jerusalem. And Paul is saying, um, I will receive it when I come. And whoever else you appoint, um, whoever you recommend, you know, we, we can go and take your gift, your grace, literally, to Jerusalem. Whoever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your grace to Jerusalem. And it's appropriately translated gift there. I think that's the idea here in chapter 1. In other words, Paul is talking about something specific. In other words, it's not just that God has favored toward you, although that is certainly applicable. But he's saying there's, there, there is evidence. There is evidence among you of God's favor. That is, He has given you something that is observable or witnessable. I don't know if that's a word, but it works. It's, it, it's something that He can see and bear witness to. God has given you a gift that is witnessable. I think that's what he has in mind here in this verse. I thank my God always concerning you for the, the gift of God which was given to you in Christ. Now, before I go on, go on to talk about the gift here, I, I, I want to point this out because I want us to watch for this just like we did in the, in the address. Last week, we, we talked about Paul's Christology in, in the opening address. and um, Everything here is about, is about God and about Christ, right? You go back to verse 1, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. And, and last Sunday night, we, we went through this talking about the importance of the different prepositions. Um, of Jesus Christ, through the will of God. And then verse 2, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul's preaching is God-centered, Christocentered. Even his letters are. He just writes an address to the church and it is full of references to God and to Christ. And there's purpose behind that. And it doesn't stop when he goes into verse 4. The thanksgiving. 
I thank God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you in Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by Him, in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you, that is He, the Lord, or God, will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I didn't count them. How many references are there in those first nine verses to God or to the Lord Jesus Christ? And you don't have to answer that. But I'm, I'm just saying, in that short address and expression of thanksgiving, it is loaded with references to the Lord. It is God-centered, Christ-centered, Christocentric. And there's a purpose there. Paul, again, as I mentioned earlier, and and we're going to talk about God's gift here, but but I want us to notice as we do that, everything Paul is saying here is is not to focus attention on gifts that God gives but to focus attention on the giver. So he's, he's redirecting their focus. Now, he's not denying the gifts, but he's redirecting their focus, desiring that they too be Christ-centered, God-centered in their thinking, in their theology. Doesn't it sound strange to... Have a a theology that's not (laughs) God-centered. And yet, such is our depravity that we're we're prone to do that. And we need to be reminded it's all of God. Jonah said so simply in Jonah 2.9, Salvation is of the Lord. What a profound statement and concise at the same time. Salvation is of the Lord. That's basically what Paul's saying here. In fact... The grace in verse four is is singular, and ultimately you could say, what is the gift that God has given them? Now, and He's going to break it down here into some particular things. But but if you just wanted to sum it up, what is the gift that God has given? It's Himself, Himself. Christ is our gift. Remember Jesus saying to the woman at the well, "If you knew the gift of God and who it was who speaks to you." You would have asked Him for a drink. Who? Well, the one who speaks to her, but also the gift. If you knew the gift of God, I think He was referencing Himself there. So, there's different ways of saying it. He gives us the gift of eternal life. But is, is eternal life something that God you know, sort of hands us and says, here, you know, take this? No. The gift of eternal life is Him. I mean, we, we come into union with Him because He is the life. So, that's what Paul is doing here. Everything that is, that is going on in the, in the life of the Corinthian church, everything that is going on in the life of these individuals in terms of real spirituality, and we'll see later, they, they have some confusion about what that is. But in terms of real spirituality... And in terms of genuine gifting from God, it's all related to Christ 
directly. Again, that sounds foolish to even have to say that, but, but we so easily separate the gifts from the giver and we have to remember that there, there is no grace outside of Christ or apart from Christ. It is in Christ. That's what he says in verse 4. The gift of God. So, it's of God and it's in Christ. But, he does go on to talk about um, some ways in which that manifests. So, he says in verse 5, that you are enriched in everything by Him, or, or in Him, literally again, it's in Him. So he says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you in Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything in Him. You were enriched in everything in Him. Made rich. And I don't... We're going to see some sarcasm as we go through the book. It's one of the ways that Paul uh, deals with them and argues with them rhetorically. But I don't believe this is sarcasm. I think what, what here, what Paul is, he's acknowledging that this really is a church of God, ordained of God. And that this really is a church gifted by God in Christ Jesus. Important. Again, as we lay the foundation. Because he's not saying, look, you've got the whole thing wrong. Repent and be saved. He's saying you've lost focus. It's some, somewhat like Jesus' letter to the Ephesians in, uh, in Revelation. You've left your first love. Now, re- repent of that and return. You've left your first love. You, you've lost focus. So Paul is redirecting their focus onto, onto God, onto Christ, while at the same time acknowledging that their experience is genuine, it's authentic. Christ has enriched them, made them rich. And we mean they're in a spiritual way. Not, um, this is not name it and claim it theology. Paul's not, not saying you know, Christ became poor so that you might be rich, meaning um, he, he suffered and went to the cross so that you could live in a mansion and drive a Lexus. It's not, not what he's saying. He's meaning spiritually, You've been enriched. You've been made rich. God has just poured it on. He has just lavished on His gift, His grace, so that you are rich. Now, not totally, or not completely, and we'll we'll see this as we move on through the book also. I I mentioned this last week. There's this this, uh, paradox that we as Christians know all too well of the already and the not yet. So on one hand, Paul is acknowledging that they, the Corinthians, are rich. They're, they're made rich in Christ. On the other hand, they basically think they have arrived. We'll see that later. They basically think they have arrived and they've got this kind of euphoric um, attitude because of because of the gifting God has blessed them with, and, and, and they're not thinking in terms of consummation, you know, the, the end, the resurrection, the fullness. So, for example, in chapter 4, verse 7, this is, I mean, verse 8, rather, chapter 4, verse 8, 
This is sarcasm. Paul says, you are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us, and indeed, I could wish you did reign, that we also might reign with you. Now there he is using sarcasm. He's a, you think you're full. You think you're rich. Well, it, doesn't he say back here in chapter 1 that they've been enriched in Christ? Yes, because there's, in a real true sense, they were and we are. We are in Christ. We are blessed now with every blessing, every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, right? According to Ephesians 1. And yet, it is, it is not... We, we don't know the fullness of it. It hasn't been brought to completion. And so, we're saved and yet we're being saved and will be saved. We're rich and yet we don't have the fullness of the inheritance. Yet. So we're in the already and the not yet. And you see that play out here in different ways. But they are so focused now on the present and on the gifting that God has blessed them with that um, they've lost focus of Christ, at least somewhat. They're not so, they're not so Christ-centered in their thinking and practice. And they're not, they're, they're not living with a view to eternity and the completion of our salvation. So, Paul says, Nevertheless, I'm thankful that you were enriched in everything by Him in all word and knowledge. Literally, that is word and knowledge. Some translations have speech or utterance. You were enriched in everything by Him in speech and all Knowledge, And again, this is interesting because later in the book, he's going to deal with them about false ideas and those very things. But, I, but again, I think what he's doing up here up front is acknowledging that their gifting is real. The, pr- the problem is not that they are exercising false gifts, that they are pseudo-Christians or something like that. The problem is they've lost focus. And so the, the authentic gifts that God has blessed them with have, have become the center, basically, of their Christian existence. So here, Paul just basically says, I'm, I'm thanking God for these things. I'm, I thank God that God has graced you. I thank God that God has enriched you in everything, in word and in all knowledge. And yet later he's going to show how um, they've gotten off base with some of those things. In other words, the gifts are real, but the Corinthians are abusing them or misusing them. So he says, again, I thank God that you were enriched in everything by Him and all utterance and all knowledge. Verse 6, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Again, that's strong language. The testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. He's, he's, he's testifying regarding the authenticity of this church and the authenticity of the gifting of God in their experience. And he's saying it was confirmed by God Himself. The testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. In other words, they didn't receive the gospel in vain. 
Uh, and I think what, what he's meaning by the testimony of Christ is a reference to the gospel. They received the true gospel, and God confirmed it in them. So that you come short in no gift. Notice that phrase again. You were enriched by Him. You were confirmed by God. And now you come short in no gift. Paul um, testifying concerning the authenticity of this church. In other words, they weren't lacking in the gifts, let's say, relative to the other churches. I think it's kind of the idea here. You're not less than. Now, we're going to see as we go through the book. The problem is they think they're more than. Paul will deal with that later. But right now, he's telling them up front, you're not less than. God has graced you and God has confirmed you. I mean, his, the fact that His grace is upon you, is, is, is evidenced and is confirmed by God Himself. And so you come short in no gift. God is operating among you. And I think all of these phrases and terms as we move through are, are just... One is expounding on the previous. Expounding on the previous. In other words, how do we know that the grace of God, the gift of God, in verse 4... Was given them. Why, why, does, why is Paul confident of that? Or how do we know in verse 5 that they were enriched in everything? I mean, you see, Paul's saying, we know that the grace of Christ was given you because you're enriched in everything. That's explanatory. Well, how do we know they were enriched in everything? Because they were enriched in all word and knowledge and because the testimony of Christ was confirmed in them. How do we know that the testimony of Christ was confirmed in them? Because verse 7. So that you come short in no gift. Because there is concrete evidence that Paul can look at and see and witness the grace of God in the lives of the Corinthian church, in the life of the Corinthian church, is witnessable. It's observable. Paul can see it. He can say, I'm confident that God's grace is in operation because I see it. And again, that's going to be so important to remember as we move through all the problems. And if we remember it, I think it's going to be the source of great encouragement. <laughs> because everywhere you have a church, or I can say it this way, every time you put um, two people or more together, you've got problems. You've got problems with one, but, but you know they just it just it just manifests probably quicker and 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 um, is more evident when, when you multiply. If you you put people together, you've got different personalities, different opinions, different likes and dislikes, so you've got problems. And we all know we have problems. Every church has problems. So, well, does that mean that we're not authentic? Does that mean God's grace is not working at work among us? Does that mean the giftings that we think we have of God are not real? Not at all. And there's, you're going to see some serious problems in this church, in, in the church at Corinth. So, he says, um, 
You come short in no gift. Again, a strong statement affirming their, their giftedness by God. You come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, they've got the grace of God at work in them and among them and on them. God has enriched them in all uh, word and knowledge and confirmed the testimony of Jesus Christ in them so that they come short in no gift and they're eagerly waiting for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, that, that's, a, that's a reference to the consummation. That's a reference to the completion. Right? That's what I was talking about earlier. Earlier, they're short-sighted in this, in, short-sighted in this regard. And, and Paul, he's, he's setting the stage here for things he's going to say later. In other words, uh, verse, verse 8, I'm sorry, verse 7, hints at the reality, you haven't arrived. You haven't arrived, Corinthians. The gifts that God has graciously manifested among you are not the end. That's not what it's all about. That's not ultimately what we're in pursuit of. But, you, you have the fullness of the gifts He's saying to them, now, while you wait for the revealing of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're looking for. That's the end. That's what we're ultimately looking for. The revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 8, who will also confirm you to the end. Uh, now, notice this, because here again is an expression of Paul's confidence that they are authentic. Notice that little word also in verse 8. And some, some of your translations won't have it, because I checked some of them. Who will also confirm you to the end. But it's there. It's the Greek word chi. And it, that is a direct reason he says also, because that is a direct reference to verse 6. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed, so also, in verse 8, He will confirm you to the end. The testimony of Christ was confirmed by God, and He will confirm you also to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I just want to... About three quick things here um, before we... or as we close um, concerning God's, God's grace and how it's working out here. And remember, um, it, again, it's all of God. The, 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 great, the gifts here that we're, that we're talking about, that we're going to be talking about later on in the book, um, are not the object of worship shouldn't be the object of our affection. Not the gift, but the giver. Unless you mean by gift Jesus Christ, like Jesus says it Himself in John 4. If that's what you mean when you talk about the gift, then amen. <laughs> Pursue the gift. Capital G. So, just a couple things here. Or a few things. Three aspects of God's grace here. And, and a reason, one reason I want us to look at this is for encouragement in our own life, obviously. And also, again, so that we understand Paul's confidence regarding 
the Corinthian church. Not confidence in the Corinthian church. We'll see that in a moment. But confidence regarding the Corinthian church. And this ought to be uh, a, a, a huge source of encouragement for us. Because I think if Paul were writing today a letter to the church at Fillmore, he would speak the same way. So, here are three aspects um, regarding the grace of God. Um, the first is, is past, okay? And, I, and I'll say it this way. It, has, it, it began. It began. Verse 4, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you and that you were enriched in everything by Him in all utterance and all knowledge. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Are you noticing the past tense? Paul's saying God's grace is evident in that it had a start. It began. It, it came to you not in vain, but it came to you in power. How does he know that? Well, uh, some of the ways we've already talked about a few moments ago. Let me give you an, an example from another letter that was actually written previous to this one, uh, chronologically, and that's First uh, Thessalonians. Because this still applies today. Speaking of the... Of the Thessalonians, he says this, and we'll go right back to First Corinthians. First um, Thessalonians one, verse eight: For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you. That's that's what we're focusing in on here. Now, Paul is saying, Paul is saying, how, how do we know that? Our coming to you was not in vain. Here's the answer. How you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. To wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. So Paul's saying there's, there, there again is witnessable evidence of God's grace at work in you. When we came and preached the Word of God, he also says to the Thessalonians, you received it not as the word of men, but as it as it truly is, as as it is indeed, as the word of God. You received it as the word of God. Now, how does he know that they received the gospel as the word of God? Because they turned from their idols and turned to the living God to worship and serve Him, and now they are waiting for the coming of Christ, the completion. Alright, so, first aspect is past. It began. It had a beginning. He who began a good work in you, Paul says to the Philippians. The grace of God began. The second, of course, is present. That is, it sustains, or you could say, it continues. So, Paul says, um, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 1, 7, so that you come short in no gift. The, the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, but now, he brings it up to the present tense, it was confirmed in you so that you right now come short in no gift. You're not lacking, you're not inferior when it comes to God's gracious manifestation of His Spirit. His gift 
is currently his gifting is is currently at work. You're not coming up short. And verse eight. And, and by the way, Paul applies that to the whole. I think to the whole the age we're in. The, while you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the gifting, the gifts, it's, it's necessary during the waiting while we occupy. Lord willing, we'll have more on that later. Um, but then he moves up to verse 8, who will also confirm you to the end. Do you see? Presently, in this present age, he, he was, he, he already confirmed you. Christ, uh, the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, past tense. And, verse 8, who will also confirm you to the end. So in this present age, it, it began and it now continues. He will confirm you to the end. Does it, does it stop there? And you see, by the way, how that, that bleeds over into the future. I mean, that, that's applicable to present and future. But he says he will confirm you to the end, so does it stop then? I thank my, I thank God for His grace, or as He says to the Philippians, He began a good work in you and will continue it to the day of Jesus Christ, till the day of Jesus Christ. Similar, similar uh, verbiage that we have here. So, I guess the grace gets us through this life and stops. No, that's not what He's saying. <laughs> it almost sounds that way. It's like Jesus telling the apostles, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And you think, well, what, what happens at the end of the age? He's with us till the end of the age. And then He forsakes us. No, that's not what He's saying. And that brings us to the third aspect. That what He's saying, and what Paul is saying here, and what Paul is saying in Philippians is, He brings it to completion. So, His grace has the past aspect. You received the Word of God. You were confirmed. The testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, in Christ. And now, He continues it to the day... Uh, to the end, rather, that, verse 8, so that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying that's where God's going with this. In other words, He, he brings it to completion. He began it. He continues it. He sustains His people. He sustains His work. He began it. He continues it. And He brings it to Completion. So, future, uh, the idea of God's grace in the future, it, and I mean in, in the far out future, not just tomorrow. Tomorrow is part of the present because that's part of this age. But when we think in terms of the last day, when Jesus returns, when He is revealed, it will be completed. And again, that's what Paul says also to the Philippians. He who began a good work in you, past, We'll continue it present to the day of Jesus Christ, future or the last day. He began it. He continues it. He'll bring it to completion. That's what Paul is saying here. He began it. He continues it. He'll bring it to completion. How is Paul so confident about that? There's a couple of options. One is, 
He knows these people because he went in and established this church in this pagan society. He knows these people and he knows their faithfulness and he is so convinced that they can pull it off that he's confident they're going to make it and be presented blameless before the Lord at the last day. That's one option. And I don't think that is at all what Paul is saying. What is he saying? There's another option. His confidence is in God. This this is what he's been doing all the way through here. Redirecting attention to Christ. It's not about you Corinthians. I, I thank God for His gift to you, His grace upon you. I thank God for His gifts, plural, to you. The manifestations of His Spirit. He has confirmed by His work among you the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, your, your, your acceptance of it. The authenticity of, your, of your, your testimony. Your belief in Christ. But it's not about you. It's about Him. It's not about you. You getting all that you can get. You being puffed up, as He'll say later. It's not about you being glorified. It's not about your will and desires. It's about Him. And so all the way through here, He keeps pointing them back to Christ. All of this is of God in Christ. Of God in Christ. The grace that you know, it was received. It's of God in Christ. Of God in Christ. And so, now He says, this grace was evident in the beginning. It began in you. God began a good work among you. It's evident in its continuation because even now, you're not lacking in any of the gifts. You're not inferior. And He says to them, looking out into the future, God's grace is going to be effective in bringing you safely home before the throne of Christ, blameless, so that you stand before Christ blameless at the last day. How do you know that, Paul? And the answer is in verse 9. Because God is faithful. His confidence is not in them at all. His confidence is in God. Matter of fact, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna see if you don't already know. As we read through the letter, he has no basis for confidence in them, but he's got a lot of reason to have confidence in God. God is faithful, through whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son. So you see what he's doing? Yes, he's affirming that this is an authentic church. The church of God at Corinth. Yes, he's affirming that they are indeed gifted by God. And that God's presence and God's power is manifest among them. At the same time, he's reminding them. He's redirecting their focus. Saying, look you Corinthians, keep your eyes on Jesus. I mean, it's not unlike the writer of Hebrews. Run the race with endurance. Looking unto Jesus. Don't take your eyes off the real prize, the real gift. 
the eternal gift. These gifts that you boast in are temporal. And the day's coming when they'll fade away. The ultimate gift is Christ. Keep your eyes on Him. Stay Christ-focused. Stay God-focused. Redirecting their focus from the gift to the giver. Would you stand, please?